The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. I want to know more about who you are out there, and I appreciate the people who have been in touch so, so much. I'm interested in how you respond to the show, what you'd like more of, what stories you have to tell about your own transformations, what losses have you experienced, how have they changed you. I want to get to know you better, so please be in touch. Today I'm welcoming Dr. Ivy Margulies. Ivy is a clinical psychologist and death midwife in Los Angeles, specializing in maternal mental health, including postpartum mood and anxiety disorders, reproductive challenges, miscarriage, stillbirth, infant loss, and grief. Dr. Margulies co-facilitates with Kylie Hanish the Global Return to Zero Healing Retreats, uh, Kylie was on last week, for women who've had a stillbirth, pregnancy loss, or death of an infant. And the next retreat will be in March 2015 in Australia. She's a member of the Los Angeles County Perinatal Mental Health Tax Force, working to reduce the stigma and shame around maternal health, uh, mental health issues while raising awareness of the number one complication of pregnancy and childbirth. Dr. Margulies is featured on the website www.kidsinthehouse.com and recognized as a specialist in grief and postpartum. Ivy's also featured as an online psychology expert for www.modernmom.com. She offers her opinions and advice on myriad topics ranging from bullying, obesity, bedwetting, breastfeeding, sleeping issues, sibling fighting, and other parenting challenges. Welcome, Ivy. Hi. Thank you, Cheryl. I it, it was rather serendipity that you ended up being on the week after Kylie, but I'm glad of it because yeah, it almost I feels that. like I, I I almost feel like I'm continuing this conversation. Uh, obviously, you come from different angles, um, but I I feel it can deepen um, my listeners' understanding of these issues that don't get talked about enough. Absolutely, they're definitely not talked about enough in our culture. Uh, and and that's notable to say because, of course, all losses, um, all kinds of grief are a little under-talked about, it, uh, under-talked about from my view, but these particular losses may be even more so, do you think? Oh, absolutely, because they're silent losses. They're not really, you know, seen or recognized um, outside of um, everyday life, let's say, um, whereas... Uh, well, we were just speaking of death of parents, 
you know, where your parents' death would be a lot more visible and understandable while a stillbirth or a miscarriage is silent and usually under the radar and quiet. And, and also that really deep misconception that uh, you haven't lost a relationship. Exactly. That, what, are you, what are you crying over? You didn't, have, you didn't even know them. You didn't <laughs> like, even know them, which yeah. if you've ever been pregnant, which I have, is yeah. a rather ridiculous statement for one thing. Absolutely. But, but yeah. also, it, uh, you know, one thing that just seems so clear to me is that our relationships are not just about what's happened or what someone said to you, but they're about the picture you have, what you, what you imagine in the future. Yeah, your dreams and, and the hopes that you had hoped come to fruition, yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to, you know, obviously talk more about you as a death midwife and um, that part of your work and, you know, these these specific death losses around um, uh, parenting. Mm-hmm. But I'd also just like to, I, I was a little bit intrigued on your website um, just to talk about what you see as the important mental health issues that uh you know, new parents face and how you work with those in general. And then we'll get, we'll get more specific, um, you know, a little later. Sure. Um, well, I think first of all, it's sleep deprivation, um, <laughs> sleep deprivation when you have a baby is, is really, um, the, the source of what then cascades into other areas of your life and not only hormonally, um, but, um, you know, your ability to communicate your needs and uh, trying to even feel like you, you deserve to have your needs met. Mm. And the other is identity shift. Um, once you have a baby, you are never the same person you were prior to the baby. And um, everything has changed. Your relationship with your partner or spouse, your relationship with family, uh, your relationship with yourself. Um, you're no longer what you used to think you were. That resonates so much with me. I can remember driving the car. My my oldest is now 34. Mm-hmm. But I think she was maybe six months old, so it didn't happen right away. And I was driving. She was in the back seat. And I suddenly thought, oh, my God, I'm a mother. Yeah. <laughs> you know? How that happened. <laughs> and, and I know how it happened because yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I was already out at that point. It took a lot to have yeah. a child, you know, but but there was sort of a shift inside where I got it that I was, I had a new identity instead of I was parenting, I was a mother. Right. So that's what I resonate with when you say that. It's always stuck with me. Yes, that particular does. moment. Do you find that that's common, yeah, that people of, um, recognize at some point that um, everything is different in them? Yeah, no, I mean, I think the sense of responsibility that you have for this human infant is is mind-boggling, and, everything, and, and the needs, always meeting its needs 100%, and, um, and then if you're already kind of tending to be self-critical, uh, are you meeting needs well enough? Are you, you know, then you become really critical of, of how you're being a mother or how you are parenting. And um, it's, really, it's really difficult to find the self-compassion and patience for yourself at times, being a new mom, especially with your first child. 
um, because you question everything. There's no roadmap. There's nobody there telling you, oh, yeah, that's, that's right. That's wrong. That's, let's do it this way. You know, you have to do it based on intuition, but there's so much information out there and so many books and so many people talking to you and whispering in your ear and then you have your in-laws and, you know, who knows. So it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's, a tough, it's tough to trust yourself. Mm, absolutely. And, and also, in a way, uh, of course, my lens is loss, you know. <laughs> uh, in a way, that's a loss of this sort of romantic vision that mm-hmm. I think, regardless of people saying it's hard, right? Uh, you know, you still carry this sort of, I did for sure, this sort of romantic vision of the love, which is true, but not so much the hard, hard, hard work and constant demand. Yeah, it's, it's it's nonstop. It's um, relentless. It's relentless. The other thing I've noticed, I, I in the last few years have become a grandmother, and I notice how uh-huh. little I I worry about how those two children are going to come out. You know, it's kind of <laughs> not my department, right? And uh, it's made me realize how much I I I thought about that as a parent. Uh, you know, feeling so responsible for how they turned out in the end. No doubt about it, because uh, you really think it, or you you really take it to heart that they're a reflection of you, walking outside your body, and um, and some of it you have to let go because some of it is not about you whatsoever. Good point. <laughs> a lot of it, I find. Yeah, actually, you know, <laughs> you know that be, now yeah. that my children are grown, they're kind of <laughs> themselves. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it depends well, on the personality and temperament you get as well. Um, you know, a lot of parents blame themselves if they don't get along with their babies or their young children. And a lot of times you get a child actually who doesn't really, you just don't mesh well together. And I think not a lot of people talk about the fact that sometimes they actually do have children that um, they don't like too much. And they really struggle how to connect when, when they're just not a good match. That's, that's really interesting because that would, of course create such a sense of shame, particularly in people that really wanted very much to be parents. Yes. Do you think it's more intense in that that sense of, oh, I'm not sure how much I'm liking my kid. Is that more intense when people have really, you know, actively craved parenting and, and wanted kids? Yeah, well, I don't think our culture really promotes uh, women talking about how unhappy they may be in general. Um, especially mothers, because we supposedly revere them as this amazing, you know, oh, motherhood is supposed to be this amazing experience and how grateful and blessed you must be and feel to be one. And actually, women are then shamed into silence because they don't, if they're not having such a good time or they're not really enjoying it, they're not going to speak up and say, well, actually, I'm not doing so well or I'm not really liking little Johnny today or, you know. Which, of um, course, makes it hugely worse. Yeah. Because what can't be expressed is hard to get out of your system. Mm-hmm. I, I remember I had a friend, our babies were born within a few months of each other, and when her child was about two months old, she said, I took a six-month leave, but I'm putting in, in, him in child care because right. we just can't be together that much. Mm-hmm. And I thought she was so courageous not only to do it, but to share it. Yes. It was so liberating to everyone, that experience she was having. And, God, they were so much happier after she did that. It makes a lot of sense. And a lot of women are shamed into feeling like they can't 
put a baby in daycare uh, um, when it would be actually best for the mental health of the mom and then overall of the family, the health of the family. And the child. Yes, that's what I meant. Because yeah. they were kind of stuck in a in a bubble together, a, a kind of negative bubble together, and they needed more input. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really made a huge difference. So I that's, agree, yeah. Yeah. So what we're talking about so far is really the, the um, I don't know if it's universal, but certainly very common experience of parents and what difficulties and losses are involved in that. But then uh, there's a whole other category of things that really are huge, uh, not common occurrences, the losses that you deal with and work with so much. Right. And they come into, you know, they're sort of, uh, they come into the expectation of this sort of normal up and down of parenting and just slam people, yes? We're not prepared for that, in other words. No. I'm not sure, I'm sorry, I'm not sure I heard the last two words you said. Uh, Slam, slam into us. You know, if you have a, a loss like that, that's so opposite of what you were expecting to do. Oh God, yes. I'm sorry, uh, I, I misheard you. Yeah, 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 yeah. The the um, abruptness and shock of not getting the the presumed outcome. The you know your assumptive world is completely shattered, and what you thought to be true just is is it's surreal. It's it, it's like where did what? <laughs> it, you, you can't make sense of it. Uh, yeah, I also think of it in terms of uh, momentum. That when we're when we have momentum in a certain direction, when it when things go another direction, it's so disorienting and and uh, it's like being dropped over a cliff yeah. in, in some way. Um, aside from, I mean, that's that's along with, of course, just the horrifying loss of it. Yes. No doubt. I mean, if you think you're going one direction and suddenly, you know, someone puts up a roadblock and says, no, you're not, uh, you don't understand why you're not getting what you thought you were going to go get or get. At what now, kind of, huh? What now and why? A lot what of why. Now and why. Mm. The unanswerable question, I suppose. Yes, the ones that you can't answer, but you ask anyway unavoidable yeah um you know in these few minutes before our break i wonder if you could talk about kind of the range of ways that people we're talking in generalities but what are some of the experiences particular families have had what have you you know what have you noticed uh what makes a difference in how people react i guess is what i'm asking well that's kind of, I mean, that's complicated. I, I think it really, it all depends on that, on that person's ability to take in the experience. Um, it all takes time. I mean, it's trauma, really. It's a yes. really, it's really traumatic. And um, I'd say almost 100% of people suffer from some sort of post-traumatic stress. Um, so it depends, I think, on your ability to really try to make sense out of it. Some people 
can't make sense out of it. Um, they're searching for sense and, and meaning. Um, a lot of questioning. Um, but I think underlying universally would be a lot of guilt. Mm. A lot of guilt that this happened and what could they have done differently and somehow, you know, they must have been responsible in some way. Which, of course, I would say is is um, common to grief. I mean, that's sort of a uh, a place that almost everyone goes to some extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we'd almost rather that than feel we have no control. Exactly. <laughs> you know, but I can imagine it's so much more intense with this being that you feel viscerally responsible for. Yes. Yes. Because it was your body, and your body didn't do what it was supposed to do, and um, you know, and the baby died. So, and is that? Are there any differences on that score between, say, uh, having that explained and it not being about your body? <laughs> you know, yeah, or, but it doesn't. It ultimately doesn't really land because. They can hear the information, but ultimately they still feel, well, it was my body, though. It was my body, though. You know, they can't kind of get out of that loop in their head. And Mm -hmm. also when you're suffering from a trauma or you're in a trauma, you're you're really not listening to other people around you. You Absolutely. Your ability to take in information, even rational information, it it doesn't land. It just, it's, you're not there. You, You can't hear it yet. For sure, yeah. And it has to be, the road has to be walked on. You can't skip to the next town in a way, too. That's true. You know, if, if that's a natural part of the process, you yeah. can't kind of skip around it. You have to go through it, yes? That's right, yeah. No one can do it for you. But, and of course, we're going to talk more about this, but... I was I was really moved by the term for I I've I've heard a few times and in relationship to you lately the term mid uh, death midwife uh-huh. and I'm very moved by that term in the sense that you know um, that that process of getting uh, of uh, approaching a death can be midwifed. Yes. You can help birth the other direction, <laughs> you know. You, well, and, you, accompany, and a, you accompany someone through their, their dying process. The other way that resonated with me, too, yes, absolutely. The other way is just that those two spaces, for me, uh, the space of giving birth and the space of helping someone die... The rooms felt quite similar to me. Oh, absolutely. There should, I think there should be dying rooms at hospitals. Mm-hmm. Because I think I wrote to you, you know, more people die today in hospitals than at home. And wouldn't it be nice if the same space was given to people leaving and transitioning uh, from this planet, uh, this, the, the room and the, the opportunity to just take their time? I think that's a beautiful, a beautiful thought. It's time for a break. And when we come back, I want to talk more about dead, uh, 
death midwifery and also about what brought you to this work and what it means for you as um as a person okay. so okay so listeners in these few minutes be sure to go to my host page good grief at voiceamerica.com and uh, that will connect you with all my various links and ways to reach me. And to find out more about Dr. Ivy Margulies, go to www.drivymargulies.com. Back after the break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, back with you. And today I'm here with Dr. Ivy Margulies, an expert in perinatal loss and mental health. And before the break, we just started touching on death midwifery. But given that I'm, I'm assuming many people out there listening have not really heard of it, or what it is. I wonder if you can just um, fill out our sense of what a death midwife does. Okay. Um, well, a death midwife typically is is not hospice care. Um, it is um, someone who accompanies uh, a person knowing that they are close to death or will be dying. Um, sometimes a conversation can be had months prior, uh, and you ask, uh, you know, about their wishes, and you ask about maybe what music they want played, or what kind of um, ambiance they want in the room, um, is there anything in particular, uh, any, you know, what religion are they, do you want, do they want anything observed, um, what would they like to be dressed in after they die, um, if they are going to have a home funeral, um, I would help facilitate that and create the home funeral. Um, and you want to get their um, their directives 
and their five wishes. Uh, you want to make sure all of that is filled out as well. And you prepare. You prepare for the dying. And you are there to help create sacred space um, and hold the space for them while they die. Um, you, you're there really to be of service in a loving way. Um, and you want to help them have a conscious death. Um, mm-hmm. If we're all lucky enough, we will all have a conscious death. We only do it once. It would be nice to show up for that event. <laughs> and, Absolutely. <laughs> um, and do it without fear. So you help that person also die without fear and that it's an organic, natural process and, it, um, and tell them what, the, you know, what to expect, maybe you know, how their body might start feeling. Um, you want to keep the room calm and peaceful as possible. Um, it's hard when the dying process gets interrupted with someone coming into the room in hysterics or trying to hold on to them longer and keeping them more present. It's very disruptive for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. And so- I would imagine, too, you would be in a unique position to um, look at the inner relationships between people and, and maybe intervene in some ways to, to help everyone go through that, not just the dying person. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then uh, a death midwife cares for the body after death. Um, by bathing and anointing with oil and then dressing the body and keeping it on ice if they want a home funeral. You know, with my wife, we we did that as a friendship community. She'd been sick a very long time, so we had very intimate people with us. That is one of the most sacred things I've ever participated in. It's very, it's, it's an honor to be with someone who dies. It's just an honor. It's a beautiful process. Absolutely. And I think that people who haven't been there when someone dies uh, can't imagine that. But it is, it is so true in my experience. Yeah. Of, no, unfortunately, yeah. again, you know, we live in a culture that, that looks at dying as um, a failure and something to avoid at all costs. Which is ironic. It's the one thing you sh- for sure can't avoid. <laughs> we don't, <laughs> as far know. as I know. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, but we hide our aging and, you know, we, we don't revere our elderly and, you know, it's unfortunate. It's really sad. And the only way we know about death right now, it seems to be in movies, TV, and it's all horrific violence. It's not really showing the beauty of dying consciously and how how that can be and what it looks like. And do you also, uh, do these two kinds of work you do intersect? Would you ever be um, asked to come in when someone has a stillbirth or uh, their child dies very, very young um, to midwife that process? It's absolutely. a little different, isn't it? No, absolutely. 
that's kind of my hope to what I want to do with my work is, um, and I have done it a couple times already, is go to a hospital when there's going to be a stillbirth and be there and help um, prepare the body and um, and help the parents process what's going on as well and maybe help to answer the difficult questions that they need to answer so quickly, it seems, and um, to slow it all down, that they can take their time, that we can call in a service like Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep and have them take beautiful photographs and memorialize um, this baby um, because it is a part of their family and they're still parents to this baby. Um, they just don't get to bring it home. Mm-hmm. Um, the other uh, benefit of having someone like myself come into the hospital is they can be told that they also could bring the baby home for a home funeral. Mm. Um, they don't have to leave the baby in the morgue. They don't have to take, you know, or give it to the undertaker. They can, they can uh, leave with the baby uh, and and do a beautiful final goodbye at home. And there is a video on my website that shows a home funeral for a baby. And do you find most hospitals support that? Do you have to fight for it? Or yeah, they- most hospitals don't know about it, don't understand it. You know, they only give the options to the parents. Well, do you want to call the funeral home or are we doing an autopsy? They don't say, or are you doing a home funeral? That is not offered. That that seems um... seems to be my 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 um, <laughs> my passion at the moment. My calling. I just feel like more options need to be given to parents and hospitals. Yes, and and of course, all of us, because I know that time of wake that I had with my wife is, is quite, was quite helpful in my grief. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, not, I never experienced that moment that people talk about when they're rested from their loved one, you know, the car takes them away. Right. And they're, and they're left bereft. I never experienced that. Wow. Uh, because I followed her. Mm-hmm. You know, and she was there a long time. I think that does make a crucial difference in grief somehow. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's not so antiseptic. It's not so separated. You're, you're touching, you're holding, you're with. You're, it's private. It's intimate. It's sacred. It really is. And, and you're ready. Mm-hmm. You know, when we drove, we drove behind her body to the crematory, when we were ready... And left her, and then went back when they uh, when they cremated her, mm-hmm. and it just feels like a seamless experience. There's yeah. no jolts. Well, I, I, don't, I don't remember any jolts. <laughs> yeah. Well, historically in America, we used to take care of our own dead. If a member of our family died, we laid them on the dining room table, and we took care of their body. We dug the hole in the backyard. You know. We took, we took care of it, and slowly as the funeral industry has come in to take that over, um, we are now growing up in a, in a, in a, in a culture that it's, it's assumed. It's assumed that you just call, you immediately call the undertaker. Yes. And no, you don't have to. No. You know, slow down. <laughs> the body doesn't all of a sudden become something to be so frightened of. 
this is a body that you loved and took care of and had good times with and knew for years. Why would you immediately just want to dispose of it like it was garbage? Well, so it's really, yeah, I think, it, important to slow down. It almost felt to me like a thank you party because it's, it sure didn't feel as if she was in that body anymore. Right. But I appreciated that body mm-hmm. for having housed her and for having allowed her to be with me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so there is some honoring about that that I just feel is so helpful. So a helpful. Celebration, a celebration of that life. Yes, and absolutely. That body. Yeah. And I make an assumption, which isn't a hundred percent always true, but I make the assumption that when we choose work like this and go towards it, we have our own experiences that bring us there. And I wondered if you'd talk some about the experiences that brought you to this work. Yeah. Um, I have had a lot of um, death experiences or in my life, um, really starting with my father when I was 15. Um, and I remember not being able to see his body and... Um, my mom had him cremated, and um, I would have always wished I could have said goodbye. Mm. And was his um, death sudden? It was. Um, well, he committed suicide. He was um, bipolar, and it was a long time going back and forth on that, and not wanting to take medication. Mm-hmm. So it's still shocking, though, when it you know it happens. Absolutely. Um, a year later, one of my best friends hung herself in her closet, and I never got to see her body. And I was really, again, another kind of shock. I was young. I was 16, 15, 16. And, and on top of your father's, father's death. death. And then when I was 24, my husband died in a car accident. And I did get to see his body and touch it and spend time with, with him, Um but I wish I had known then what I know now about the death and dying process and, and, and how maybe I could have just done a few things differently that would have been more meaningful and all of that. Um, Did it make a difference, though, that you were able to be with this body? Absolutely. Absol- absolutely. I, I, I'm a strong believer in if you're not ready to see even, if you're not ready to see the body, at least see a hand or a foot. Mm-hmm. Just something that concretizes that loss. Um, otherwise, your mind has a way of, of making things up or, or fantasizing um, what that person might look like or if, it, if it's true they even died. Um, so it, I think it's really important that you see it. In some way, some tangible way, if you That's, can. It's you very can. important what you're saying because I, uh, of course, everyone expected, uh, led me to expect that I would at some point doubt that my wife had died. Mm. You know how that happens for people. Yeah. I never, I never ever did, and I think it was because of being with her body for, you know, quite a long time after she died she was definitely dead I never had that uh I never had that fantasy 
I, I can't say for sure those two are connected, but do you think they might be? They might be. I mean, as you're talking, I was thinking, you know, I used to think I saw my father out in a crowd. Yes, I've, I've had that. that I've, I've never thought I saw my late husband, Michael, in a crowd. So, mm. that's yeah, that's interesting as you're talking. I'm thinking, yeah, you're right. You're right. It does it just, it really does yes. help the mind process the the surrealness of death. It makes it so real, so real instead of surreal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I agree. I guess I feel grateful too that both of my parents, I got a chance to spend time with them after they died. You know, that's, I think that's uh, that, you, that is that is a good a good thing. Yes, that no, people I'm don't safe. realize is a good thing. No, you're lucky, actually. I think so too. Yeah, very blessed. So, so twenty four. I you're not twenty four now, obviously. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I find for most people, there's not this immediate straight line between those experiences and ending up working with those experiences. Can you can you tell me a little bit about you know the story of, um, how you got from there to here? And we may not be able to finish. We may take this over into the next segment, but okay. we can certainly start it. Uh, well, I think, you know, those are the highlighted experiences. I also had a pregnancy loss with my late husband, um, so I know what it is to um, have a miscarriage. Um, as I went into graduate school, it informed my dissertation, and I worked with, um, I, I did a, a, a video a documentary video um, on young widows. Uh, when my husband died, no one, there was nobody to, nobody knew how to help a young widow. All the groups were for older people. Um, I felt very lost. I felt very alone in my grief. And um, so uh, being able to, to, to put it in, put it somewhere, put it in a dissertation and talk about it and run grief groups and for young widows specifically and having that um, experience helped me to, to process my grief as well. Yeah. Um, uh, and then uh, as I remarried and had children of my own and I had postpartum and so I knew what that was like and um, and the lack of Talk, no one talks about postpartum um, un, until it's in a crisis mode or you hear these horrible stories um, of women who have killed their children and then themselves or certainly or, or just themselves even um, in a psychosis. And, um, and that's not the typical face of postpartum. Those are those extreme stories of postpartum. Postpartum is very prevalent. It's one out of six women will get it, and there are pre-existing risk factors for postpartum. And um, anything past two weeks, uh, you really need to seek out counseling or help or an evaluation on your symptoms. Um, so as I got more into the maternal aspect of my work, along with child development and grief and parenting, um, I've kind of or just kind of moved into this world, and it, it really resonates with me on such a profound, deep level, and I know it's my calling. I just, I know it sounds weird, but I love, I mean, I love it. I love what I do. I, um, um, I just, 
awesome. So I feel very lucky to have found something that complements my psychology and the death and dying work with, um, you know, significant losses in people's and, lives. And, of course, it doesn't sound weird to me because look what I do. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, there's something so good about giving service yes. around things that have touched you so deeply. Yes. We're, we're going to take our second break. Okay. And, and listeners, don't forget to connect with me on my host page. And you can find Dr. Ivy Margulies at drivymargulies.com. Back soon. Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Dr. Ivy Margulies, a leading expert in perinatal mental health and loss. And, um, you know, before the break, we we were talking about um, how much it helps to be able to be with death uh, and, and really how beautiful that can be. And we kept talking about that during the break. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of, I can imagine, of course, of course, midwives, uh, birth midwives that I've talked to have said they, they kind of almost feel they're addicted to that, that beauty, you know, that moment. Yes. And, uh, I can imagine it might feel similar for you as a death midwife. Uh, just, you know, obviously totally different, um, after that moment, but you said something about feeling it to be sacred or precious. I wonder if you could talk a little more about what it's like to be a death midwife. What's that experience like for you? Um, again, I just, uh, it's just an honor to be invited into that space and to be invited to 
help someone transition and and die and 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 you know we come in through a portal and we leave through the other end of that portal and i imagine as it is for birth midwives death midwives yeah it's it's there, there's something about being in that space that you can't get enough of it's it's um you're watching something so profound that that you don't know where they're going or what's on that other side or if there is another side. Um, I believe there is since doing this work. I really believe energetically we just transform into a different energy um, entity. Um, but as you said, you know, when you're looking at that body and you know when that person's essence is no longer in that body, then what is that? You know, yeah. what is that? That's just, it's like, Wow. Wow, what is that? It's just the essence that you know it's gone. The great mystery. <laughs> yeah. 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 The other, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, no, I it's I just think it's uh it's it is. It's just one of life's great mysteries and <clears throat> we won't know till we get there. Mm. The other thing I was noticing before the break is just uh I've been thinking about this a lot in in my own uh, life. I sort of feel there are moments in life that feel like culminations. You were saying that you've just felt like this was the work of your life, what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. And I have some feeling of that myself these days. Mm-hmm. But I noticed listening to everything, all the experiences you had that led there, that they're all a part of it. They're all reflected in what you're doing, aren't they? Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. it my and life is definitely informed where I am today in my work. Which I know for me, and you can tell me if this is true for you, it sort of uh, redeems all those experiences in a profound way for me. That they're all uh, part of, they're still a part of me you know, and informing what I do now and making what I do now possible, in a sense. Sure. I, I don't I don't know. Obviously, I couldn't have done with this show without knowing grief, for instance. Sure, exactly. Yeah. Um, and that, that was very clear to me in just everything that's happened for you over your life. I think so, too. I think... Um You know, I don't know what else to say. It's just that life, you know, we have to embrace every day and because um, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I, one part of your work we haven't talked a lot about yet that I really would like to hear from you about is the groups that you're going to be doing with Kylie Hanish. Oh, yes. Um because again, I have that sense of you're going to use everything you are and everything you've experienced to do that work. Uh, and obviously, it's not the death midwife work, it's, it's healing work for people who've had those losses. But could you talk about, uh, I have a general sense of what you're going to be doing there, but I wonder if you could fill it out for me some. 
Sure. Well, um, Kylie and I already did a retreat in Stowe, Vermont a few months ago for 22 women. And um, we plan to pretty much, uh, you know, hope to use the same things that we were doing with this group in Australia. And uh, we create a sacred circle, a healing circle, um, and we light candles in memory of our babies, um, which is a very powerful image to have right there in the center of the circle, all the candles lit Mm -hmm. um, for all the losses, uh, which helps the women really bring those babies into the room. And um, we like to say they're having a play date while we're all talking. (laughs) Um, I like that. So, so it helps us all become really present. Um, we do a visualization, a meditation. Um, we pass around uh, labradorite, which is a beautiful crystal rock, um, as a talking stick. Um, labradorite is used um, to help facilitate uh, your throat chakra and grief. So that's a nice symbolic thing to pass around as women share their stories. Um, we have uh, an altar, uh, a table set up for pictures of their babies and any mementos they want to share. We have um, we ask them to write out their stories, and we put those on another table that the other women can read at their leisure during the retreat and either respond to that woman in person, like walk up and say, I just read your story, and it moved me and this is, you know, wow. Or, or they can write them a note um, in response to the letter. Um, and then we like to uh, have uh, yoga. Yoga is very healing to do with grief. And we were lucky enough in Stowe to have some horses there that um, uh, we did yoga on horses, which is uh, was transformative for a few women there just, to go from a place of not trusting your body and having to trust your body on a horse. And it uh, was very um, healing for many women with some of the feedback. And as we know, horse equine therapy is used for usually people with autism or um, maybe some other uh, drug addiction or other issues that are common. But we don't hear a lot about it for grief. And it was really, really moving and um, a unique, amazing experience to have. Yeah, that sounds incredible. I am having a little trouble. I've done a lot of yoga. I'm I'm trying to picture yoga on a horse. Yeah, downward um, dog. <laughs> downward dog on top of the horse. Yeah. Must have been some very agreeable horses, yeah? Yeah. Oh, no, they know. They stand still. They, they know what to do. That's, that's incredible. Just in terms of being rather high up. You know, I've also ridden horses, not at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're rather high up. And you're doing yoga, which... It requires some balance and oh gosh, yes, and intention. Um, and you're on a horse. Most people would not immediately go into trust of the horse staying still. Yeah, you go into trust. So that pose. must be like like <laughs> a, the old trust exercises where you fall backwards. Yeah. Does it feel that way? No, no, not at no? all. 
it just feels very steady and, and safe well, and I mean, wonderful. You're, you're moving with the horse if it's swatting flies or, I don't know, I mean, you're trusting that the horse is not going to just take off. Uh-huh. But, uh, the owner is holding the horse, uh, you know, on a lead rope, but, mm-hmm. you know, it can move, sure, it shifts its feet, you know, you have you could go off of it, but it's relatively safe. You have to trust yourself and the horse. Absolutely. Yeah. So what I'm um, what I'm picturing uh, are a lot of things that I do think really so much help people uh, to heal. Being in community helps people heal, but mm-hmm. having a chance also to be within themselves helps them heal. Yes. Uh, uh, getting a chance to tell your story helps you heal. And getting a chance to have a new experience with your story helps you heal. So yeah. I hear all that in what you're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I hope anyone who is in, in that circumstance, uh, if they can, because I know, uh, you know, money is certainly an issue, mm-hmm. but if they can, could do that because it just sounds like it would make a lot of difference for people. It's profound. It really is. It's a unique, profound experience. Um, and if anyone has the opportunity to go to a, a retreat like that, I mean, that would be, it's, it's huge. It's a huge help in your grief work. In your, in, and grief is lifelong, as we know. So yeah. um, it's just, and to be with other people who have had that loss, Mm-hmm. It really creates a, a really safe environment for you. There's also something I know for myself that when I did things uh, that took, required effort on my part to address my grief, went to grief workshops, you know, I did quite a bit of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I felt as if I was giving my psyche the message that I was going to take care of it. Oh, that's nice. I like that. Uh, that there was some way I say it's okay. You can relax in my arms. I'm I'm gonna manage. I'm gonna put you where you can feel better. You know, oh, uh, which which was a pretty new experience for me. And That's I think very it did. Nurturing. It did. Yeah, very nurturing uh, of myself in a way that was kind of new. But you know, when we're grieving, we don't typically have a lot of self compassion or show ourselves a lot of self compassion. So. Mm, that 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 was just a lovely story you just told. Very beautiful. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Well, I was glad to have that story myself, and I and I wish it for others. So I'm glad you. I'm I'm really excited about uh, the work that you're doing that way, and also just getting the getting these issues out publicly. Yes, yes. It's just so vital, and I thank you so much for for being here. Oh, um, my pleasure. I, ho- I hope we'll stay in touch. I've enjoyed the conversation very much. I have too. Thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Uh, it, listeners, go to Dr. Ivy Margulies for more. Uh, I, I hope you're able to, to connect if you've had those experiences with people that, that support you in it. Next week, I will... Uh, I'll welcome Edie Hartshorn, whose beautiful book, Light in Blue Shadows, follows her grief after the loss of her son at age 20, the other end of the parenting Mm -hmm. paradigm. Mm -hmm. 
This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.